Hello, Monetization Nation. I'm Nathan Gwilliam, your host. And welcome back to another episode with David Covey. He's the author of Trap Tales, Outsmarting the Seven Hidden Obstacles to Success. As we discussed in the last episode, there are seven common work traps we may fall into. The busyness trap, the procrastination trap, the ego trap, the trigger trap, the silo trap, the settling trap, and the myopia trap. Today, we're going to look at real-world examples related to these types of traps. We will also cover the following key takeaways. Number one, sometimes we need to be willing to accept 90% failure to get 10% of transformational success. Number two, if we want a certain type of person in our organization that's going to represent the culture we want, we should absolutely hire for it. Number three, we have to constantly adapt, change, and reinvent ourselves if we want to stay ahead. I'm a big believer in stories. I feel that stories are are the things that people remember the most, they engage the most. If we want to say something that's really going to cause change, it's usually from a story. Maybe you could go back through the seven principles and maybe tell us a story of, of an individual or an organization that that was making a mistake, that was falling into one of these traps and how they changed it and and maybe the impact of, of that change. So I, I'm a big um, fan of, of Jeff Bezos and what he's done with Amazon. Uh, I think that uh, what, one of the things that, uh, that he's done is encourage uh, experimentation. In fact, he said in his uh, shareholder letter. I know he's not CEO now and he's given it to someone else and moved on, but I think he's created an amazing company. But this giant company, one of the things he talks about is the importance of failure and experiments in their company. And, and you know, and here you have this giant company, you think that it would just be more focused on compliance and about everybody kind of, you know, doing their job and not stepping outside of their role. And uh, that's, that's not at all the kind of company he's built. He's built this company where he wants people to experiment, to try new things, to create new things. Uh, another good example is Google. Google used to have, uh, as part of their uh, job assignment for people, is to have 20% of it to focus on their pet projects, uh, things that they were passionate about. Now, you know, why, why would a company like Google do that, you know, to have people say, okay, hey, let's focus on... Uh, 20% of your job can be on things that you're passionate about. Well, that created Gmail. It created Google Earth. There's a lot of other products that came from that. And I think that what these companies realize is that to get the best out of their people and to get the most out of their people, you need to uh, allow people to experiment, allow people to try new things, allow them to pursue their passions. And there's a way to align that also with the organization to where those uh, those passions can also al- align with the organization goals and, and strategy and so forth. That's a great example. Let me make a comment on that real fast. So not only did that 20% focus time where employees could choose discretionary where they wanted to put that time when they worked at Google, not only did they that give them home runs like like Gmail, I, I bet you 90% of those were failures, right? I bet you 90, 90% of those didn't provide any kind of meaningful, sustainable, long-term benefit for, for Google. But because they were willing to have 90% failures, they got the 10% home runs. And it took being willing to accept 90% failure to get 
10% transformational home runs. And that's a tough shift for a lot of companies. Most CEOs aren't willing to accept 90% failure, but that's probably the only way you can get 10% transformational home runs. Okay, back to you, back to your stories that you were sharing. No, so uh, so I, I, would, I would say that, uh, you know, so I shared those examples on Amazon and Google. Uh, I, I really relate to the business examples because, you know, I have, I have kind of a business background. Uh, I, I would think that for uh, for settling, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the term called ikigai. Yes. That ikigai, yes, the Japanese form also has those four needs. But uh, but I think that how many of us it settle in our job, you know, settle in our work? And, and a lot of times the answer is not to leave the company. Sometimes it is. But the way that you can try to influence the company, I think, is, you know, can be dramatic. And I think the companies nowadays, you know, more than ever, I mean, companies can't even hire people now. You know, it's so hard to even hire people. And so uh, when you go work for a company, you know, you should have expectations of, Okay, I want to be paid fairly, but how am I going to be utilized? How how, how is my mind going to be engaged? And and I'm passionate about those these things. Can I can I do some of those things? And tell us about what the company does, what the company's purpose is, and what the larger mission is. Uh, very impressed with uh, a company, you know, Southwest, uh, especially even you know longer ago. Uh, I think some of the other airlines are catching up with them, but Southwest was an organization where Herb Kelleher said, and he was very vocal about this. He said, we have three stakeholders. Our first stakeholder is employees. Yep. And that was very controversial at the time. People did not agree with Hugely that. It's controversial. Yeah. Second was customers. Third was financial shareholders. Yep. That was totally a game changer because everybody had the, the opposite. They, they wouldn't say it. They say customers first, but really financial investors where the first and second was customers and third were employees. He said, employees are first, which was crazy. And, and you know, not, it was crazy for him to say that, but what he believed, and it was true, that if you treat your employees fair and treat them well and, and treat them like their number one constituent, they will treat your customers really well. And Southwest has a, a long history. I don't, I don't know with the... 1800 cancellations of Southwest flight. Yeah, the last three days might not be a good example of that. But but a great example of, you know, of, of someone who kind of turned it on his head, you know, conventional wisdom and, uh, and, and got amazing financial results from it. There's one more element in that, too. Um, Simon Sinek, Sinek, in his book, Start With Why, he talks about Southwest and their hiring. And, and one of the one of the big elements of that taking care of their people is when when Herb started, he actually let go a whole bunch of people. He actually f said, this is the, the type of person we need to create the company we need. And if you're not on board with this, you know, we're, we're letting you go. And, and so they, they did some cleaning house and then they did some internal um, analysis of who are the best people we can hire instead of us trying to train people to be what we need. Why don't we find the right people that are, that are, are, are going to provide this kind of service? And, and I believe they found that cheerleaders and, 
majorettes who were used to cheering and rooting for other people provided the best customer service that they were wanting to provide for their customers. And so they actually started looking for people that had backgrounds as cheerleaders and, and majorettes to, to fill that kind of a role. And yeah, well, I, I think that's right. You know, you'll, you, you, you look for what you want, you know, it's the Jim Collins, you know, getting the right people on the bus. I think that's what uh, Herb Kelleher was doing. We said, hey, we need we have a certain type of person that we're looking for. Uh, you know, I'm sure we all have these customer uh, negative customer experiences where you think, you know what, you, you this person serving me, you shouldn't be in customer service. You know, you don't say that to them. You're, maybe you're, you're not as uh, mean or, or direct with them. But there's some people that you say, how did you get this job? <laughs> you don't like being in customer service. You don't like serving people. And uh, and I think that that's what. You know, Southwest learned so well is that, look, we need to have there's a profile. There's a certain type of person that fits this profile. And we need to make sure that we're hiring to that profile if we want to be able to maintain this type of culture that we want to have. So, yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly uh, concur with, with, with that thinking is that, you know, if you want a certain profile or type of person in your organization that's going to represent the culture that you want, yeah, you should absolutely hire for it. All right, go ahead. Keep going with your stories. Procrastination, I guess the story that I would use there is if you look at the Fortune 500 companies, you know, again, Fortune 500 companies are the largest revenue companies in America, okay? And, and the highest, you know, down to the lowest. And I, nowadays, you got to almost be like four or five billion, I think the last time I checked, even to be number 500. But if you look at that and you look at the last 20 years, 67% of those companies in the last 20 years are no longer on the list, 67. So that means those companies that were there 20 years ago are no longer on that list. Why? Do you think any of them said, hey, our goal is to get off the Fortune 500 list because our revenues are declining? No, what happened is they didn't evolve, they didn't adjust, they didn't adapt, they didn't reinvent, right? They didn't experiment. They punished their people when they made mistakes instead of uh, encouraged them and said, that's fine. What did you learn from it? And, and because of that, these companies have fallen off the list. That's 20 years. So I, I, I don't know how much strong, more strongly you can say it than, than what's happening in today's environment is your knowledge you know, lasts for maybe five years. You've got to constantly be re-educating yourself, learning you got to be reading like crazy because what you knew five years ago is now obsolete. It's, it's, it's not relevant. And, and companies in, in the same way, I, I love a company uh, that I talk about internationally, Lego. Lego is an amazing company. I mean, with, with my seven kids, you can imagine how many Legos I've bought over the years. But they're a company that's constantly reinventing themselves. And, uh, and they have, uh, you know, Lego, uh, you know, theme parks. And, and they have these sustainable bricks and they're constantly winning these awards for being a top innovator. Well, they could rest on their laurels. This is a company that could say, hey, you know, we, we've made it, you know, we've arrived, you know, and then all we have to do is just keep pumping out our products to the, to, the new, uh, to the new kids being born and we'll be fine. Well, no, they're not. They're, they're, they're reinventing themselves. They're constantly changing and evolving. And, uh, and that's, what, that, that's what companies need to do and that's what we need to do. 
Yeah. You, you hear companies sometimes who say, this is how we've done it for the last 20 years. And so that's how we're going to keep doing it as if that's a good thing. Like that they're, they had success 20 years ago and they're trying to preserve that success by keeping doing it. But that's almost a, a guaranteed recipe for failure. Like we talked about previously before that we started the show, there's these tectonic shifts that are constantly changing the business landscape. And, and the almost guaranteed way to fail is to not leverage those tectonic shifts. And, and then it will result in catastrophe. The, the earthquakes and the volcanic eruptions that happen geologically happen metaphorically in our businesses. And, and the only way to stay on that Fortune 500 list like you're talking about is, is to be like an Amazon and find those tectonic shifts and leverage those tectonic shifts and, and ride those waves into shore and uh, leapfrog those competitors like Sears. Amazon had no business beating Sears. Sears had all the resources, had all the, the money, the products, the, the, you know, they, they had everything they needed to win in the world of e-commerce. And they didn't. They didn't leverage those tectonic shifts. I, I love it. A, a, a more recent example is Blockbuster and Netflix. <laughs> so there's the story, literally, where Netflix went to Blockbuster and said, you know, you should buy us. Uh, we'll, sell, we'll sell ourselves for 50 million, you know, and and, and you're a bigger company and you should, you know, and Blockbuster said, no, no, we're, we're, we're fine where we're at. And they continue to sell their, you know, have their video stores. They, they only have one video store in Bend, Oregon is all they have. You look at Netflix now, which is this company that is not only provided everything digitally, you know, online, but they create their own movies now, you know, they have their own content. They're not just relying on other people's content. And I think their market cap is something, something like uh, $500 billion. Yeah, and even Netflix has had to leverage new tectonic shifts, right? They started as a mail-order DVD company, and they had to switch when this tectonic shift of streaming came along. So even when you have found success, you've got to identify and leverage the next tectonic shift before your competitor does. You can't rest on your laurels and say, okay, we got it right with one tectonic shift. And, and now we're going to ride that to success. You've got to find the next one. And it's interesting to me, you know, uh, I think that someone who was really, really good at uh, reading trends and had just great instincts was Steve Jobs. Yes. And now uh, you have his successor, uh, Tim Cook, who I think is more of a process innovator. You know, he's creating, you know, improved uh, iPhones and, you know, I guess he has the Apple Apple Watch, which is a new innovation, but he's not reinventing new industries. If Steve Jobs had been there, Apple would own the digital car operating system right now. Exactly. So, you know, so someone like, uh, you know, Tim Cook, which I have a lot of admiration for as well, but he's not a he's not a reinvention. He's not reinventing industries. You know, like like Steve Jobs was was able to do. Okay, so what do you feel is one of the biggest tectonic shifts that's transforming the business landscape today? So I think that uh, one of the things I'm noticing is just how uh, the, a lot of the power is going to individuals from companies. I mean, I think companies still have enormous power, and they have almost you know almost like monopolies, you know, uh, the way that some of these big companies have. But you can create your own brand. You can create your own 
identity. You can create your own image. I mean, e even in, uh, in uh, college football now, uh, they have uh, uh, Neil, you know, name, image, likeness, <laughs> you know? I mean, why, why, why did that finally come out? You know, I mean, it's just, you have all these uh, young athletes, you know, aren't able to capitalize on any of that. And now, and now you see that, you've seen that being capitalized. And so I, I think that's a huge shift is that what is your strategy? What is your plan to create your own uh, image, your, your own uh, brand? Uh, I mean, your own platform, even. Exactly. It, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And you can be anywhere in the world and you can be anybody. You know, it's, so, it's, it's totally taken down all of the walls and the traditional barriers. And, uh, you know, the barriers to entry, you know, to get into that business. I, I'm fascinated by Instagram. Uh, and it's fascinated, you know, and I think it's like 90% women, but just the business model with that, how people can make, build their brand, you know, build their business. And I mean, just, just think about that. That Instagram's been around, what, nine years? I mean, this is like almost, this is like the last seven, eight years. It's incredible. So I, I think I think it's the shift away from these traditional power brokers that had all the power. That's right. To more of the individuals who are able to uh, access and wield this power and create their own platform without the expense and the cost uh, or and the and the and the and the barriers like like what used to exist. Yeah, I I agree with you. Building, being able to build your own platform, I think, is one of the biggest tectonic shifts that's happening today. And the credibility is shifting. If you look at how people used to trust the media, and you look at the credibility of the media, it's at an all-time low. Where has that credibility gone? It's gone to these individual, you know, the micro influencer platforms who who are credible about their individual area. Thank you so much, David, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. To learn more about or connect with David, you can find him on LinkedIn, visit his website, davidmrcovey.com, or get his book, Trap Tales. And you can find links to each of these sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and I wish you success as you work to overcome traps and find success at work. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.